This podcast was proudly produced by NZ Audio Editors. For all your editing services, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.nzaudioeditors.com. Ryan J. Melson and Greg Mole from One Plan for Retirement would like to welcome you to the NZ Guide to Financial Freedom. In this podcast, we'll break down the psychological tools and financial framework you need to live the life you want to ensure you don't run out of money before you run out of life. So on this episode, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite pastime, family trust. So once, like I heard a story that um, in New Zealand, we had the highest per capita of family trust in the world. Uh, even if we're not number one, we're definitely in the running. It seems every, nearly every person I meet knows someone with a family trust and it's absolutely bizarre now. Once upon a time, it used to make a lot of a lot of sense. So there was a state duty tax. You know, someone passed away, there'd be a cost. Um, the other thing is the rest home subsidy. So people would use a family trust as a vehicle. So then the government would pay for their care instead of using their money. And it used to be quite effective, but now the government's catching on and they're trying to find ways around it. But before we kick into that, I think it's important we actually talk about what a family trust is and where it's often used. So the whole idea of a trust is that you're not technically the legal owner of the assets that you put under it. So you can put your home, put shares, cash, term deposits, things of value. And by you putting that degree of separation protects you from the risk of you personally doing something wrong. For example, relationship breakup. Historically, it used to be an effective way to create a degree of separation between the assets that you own, that is technically relationship property if you break up and the assets that are owned by the trust. They're finding ways around that, and they're called, they call it a sham trust. So they're trying to find reasons where you're still actually legally owning it, and you're just using the family trust as a vehicle to get around that. The other way is with business ventures. So creditors, if you're owing money, they're going to come after you in terms of your personal assets to find a way to fund that debt. So if you put it in a family trust, you treat it like separate property, it's harder for those creditors to come over after your family home, for example, because you don't personally own it. Another way is that you want to create something with a specific intent, like your children's education, or you might have a child that's got a disability and you want to make sure they're looked after in your absence. That would be another reason. Um, so those are really the main reasons, relationship, property, specific intent, and protecting from business ventures. Uh, you could also just just as a means to have a structure in place, um, but those are the main reasons. So the, there's three parts to a trust. There's many different kinds of trust, but the main one is you've got trustees, you've got a settler, and you have beneficiaries. So the settler is the person that sets up the trust. The trustees are the people that administer the trust based on the recommendations of a trustee. So you write up this trustee, and this is how the trust should be set up. An interesting story about trust was that it actually founded way back in the medieval times of England. So during that time, what would happen is that 
people would go on these long journeys, they'd come back and their house had been ransacked and all the stuff had been taken. So they're like, well, that's not good. Got to protect against that somehow. So there was these knights that they would ask, hey, can you keep an eye on our assets? And then when we come back, uh, we got all our stuff that hasn't been stolen. So back then the knights were this prestigious crowd that you could trust to set it up. But then people started realizing, okay, what if we have these knights as our trustees so then they look after the property and then that's a way for us not to pay tax because they're the ones looking after it, not us. And then it started building from there where trust started to be a vehicle where you could separate yourself and not be the legal owner. So that was quite an interesting story I heard that on how it actually started, which is quite cool. But now the important parts to think about with a trust is quite often you want to have your children as trustees because you know them and you trust them. Quite often in our experience as financial planners is that we see that comes unstuck. You actually want someone that's independent, that a professional trustee ideally or someone that you can trust that will administer it as per your requirements. When you get children and they get a little bit invested in it because potentially they're the beneficiaries and then they're supposedly meant to act in the benefit of the beneficiaries but then there could be some sort of conflict. The other concern with setting up a trust is as I say it's treated as it's a sham trust, so you're treating it like personal property. So then the, the, the protection that you would use it for is no longer relevant. So th- that's the idea of family trust, and you can write it up. I mean, a lot of our clients are unwinding their trust because it doesn't make sense. The benefits that they received wasn't really worth it. The other thing is if you've got a professional trustee, there's a cost of that. There's also a higher tax rate for trust as well. There's a higher tax on the income generated from the trust. And then also there's accounting fees. So you're obviously going to have to um, declare the income of the trust and go through like processes. So there's there's a number of reasons why it's not making a whole lot of sense. In terms of transferring the asset ownership, how it works is historically the, the trust has to buy it off you, but the trust doesn't have money. So what you effectively do is you loan them the asset. Um and then the next process on top of that is called gifting. So before 2011, you could only gift $27,000 in terms of the value each year. So if you had a million-dollar house, you'd have to gift $27,000 a year until you eventually reached a million, and now you legally don't own the house. So it was quite an ordeal. Since then, they've removed that, so you can gift it. You're not limited by how much you can gift. But the concern is now a lot of them are treated like shams and the regulatory bodies are coming after and the lawyers are coming in relationship property. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It still makes sense when you have a child with special needs or you have a special directive that you need the trustee to administer. And it still can be used if you're smart about it and you keep revisiting it and you set up in the right way to protect against creditors. But other than that, relationship property will be a bit of a push. There's no estate duty tax anymore and the rest home subsidy actually sees it more of a red flag than actually a benefit so that's the idea of a family trust can be used but make sure you use it right and you get professional advice so i hope that was helpful and now there'll be a bit more information in the description as well with a few links